Hey everyone, my name is Haley Shepherds, and I'm the pastoral intern here at Kairos. And we're in the middle of this series called Cliché, where we're breaking down these cliché Christian phrases. Now the reason I showed you that very strange clip was to show you how the, our idea of who an angel is and what an angel is has really gone astray. When you think about angels, you may be familiar with Cupid, who you saw there. Maybe it surprised you. Or maybe you're familiar with your grandma's house that has tons of angels sitting around who look more like babies with wings. Maybe you've even dressed up as an angel as a kid. But the reality is we don't really talk about angels much, especially in church. And what comes out of this is this cliche phrase that sounds a lot like this, God needed another angel. Now, usually it comes up not at church services, but more during funerals and visitations. It's a phrase that we think someone grieving might make them feel a little bit better. But does it actually bring comfort? I took a Facebook poll um, from, from a few seminary students. I'm also in seminary. So I asked some friends of mine if they've ever found comfort with that phrase. God needed another angel in their grief. 100% of them said no. That saying did not help them find any kind of comfort or closure. Now I also asked them if they've ever heard that phrase said to someone when they were ministering at a funeral. And 100% of them said they had heard it too many times to count. So this first reason we're addressing this cliche phrase is it often doesn't bring anyone comfort. If you've ever said this phrase, I'm not trying to shame you here. Trust me, I've said it before. But the reason we're diving into this series is to avoid actual insanity. We've said the same things over and over again as a church expecting different results. What this phrase really says is I'm uncomfortable with your sadness. You should be thankful. Your loved one is with God, but now there's some spiritual being that we don't really know anything about. Can we find comfort in that? I don't know if I can, I don't find that very comforting. But there's really no handbook which tells us to say the right things especially in pain and grief, it's really hard. And I know my family members, especially my dad, have said certain phrases my entire life in attempts to bring my sister and I some sort of comfort in our pain. And so my story for you today is one evening a couple of years ago, uh, my sister was a senior at ADM High School. And so one fall evening during football season, uh, we had the homecoming parade. And that evening, my dad was staking out um, on our patio. So you can see our patio in that image um, right there. And so he had this big patio. And so he would sleep there to catch TPers. Now my dad took his role really seriously. So he bought cameras. He had security footage that he could pull up on his laptop. He bought a four-wheeler so that he could get away easily and chase down kids. He would even go barefoot, sprinting across our gravel road outside our house in order to catch these kids. One time he even tore up the bottoms of his feet. They were bleeding so bad. And so things were getting out of hand. And eventually the kids thought it was some game to try to get my dad, to try uh, to TP our house without him catching them. And so what did he do? He brought in reinforcements. He brought in my sister. And so one night they were watching the camera and spotted some trespassers in their backyard. And so they devised a plan. My dad was gonna go army crawl in our backyard. You can see in that picture, we have a pond back there. And so he was gonna go get them from the other side. And he was gonna chase them back towards our house so that my sister would be there waiting so that she could catch them. But one mistake he made 
was he forgot to tell her about the new metal stake in the ground near our metal box or near our mailbox, and there we would have uh, our new electric outlet, um, but he forgot to tell her that there was this, this dangerous obstacle in her way. And so like most injuries and like most accidents, the odds were low, but my sister is one of the luckiest people I know. She wins every single game in our household, and so her shin absolutely contacted that metal stake near the mailbox. Now Sam was just defending our household name with the toilet paper raid that was going on, but now toilet paper raid has a whole new meaning with this pandemic. And so it was dark and my dad couldn't really see how bad it was. And so when dads know that their kids are hurt, there's a phrase that they say, just rub some dirt on it. Now, if your dad's ever said this to you, um, I'm there with you. He said it to us all the time. He told my sister that day, you'll be okay. We'll just get a band-aid band -aid later. Um, but the reality was she wasn't okay. 16 stitches later, um, Sam was in the hospital recovering. And so this phrase was traditionally used for practical purposes. If you got a cut or scrape, you were supposed to put dirt on it so it would stop the bleeding. But now this expression has changed into something as a tough it out phrase. So this idea of pick yourself back up again and carry on has really changed over time. In the same way that this phrase, God needed another angel, is also changed over time and been misinterpreted to mean something else. So when my dad said, just um, rub some dirt on it, you'll feel better. In this case, he was trying to avoid my stepmom finding out about what he had done. And so knowing the right thing to say in those heated moments or in injury or in grief, we have been socialized to avoid or deflect any situation that makes us uncomfortable. College students, you maybe have been in a situation like that. We think we're saying something out of love or our parents are saying something out of love and it just comes out of our own discomfort and need. So when we deflect, we're trying to get our own needs met. So how do you respond when you are uncomfortable? Do you panic? Do you run away? Do you deflect? I know my mom asks every time I come home, so who are you dating? Maybe you know your mom asks that same thing. Or my friends who are constantly talking about conspiracy theories, I try to deflect that really quickly. When I'm uncomfortable with the question, the opinion, the pain, the grief, when we're scared, we deflect. And so this comfort that we're seeking in our grief or our pain changes to deflection. And instead, God tells us it's used for embrace. So God is the source of our comfort. We learn this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. God is the comfort in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Notice that it didn't say in there, say the right things. It said God is our source of our comfort. We get to experience the presence of God and comfort and embrace faith. And that's where the truth of these hard things to say come through. Sometimes we just need to be the presence of God, the comfort that we receive for other people. Maybe that's giving a friend a hug. Maybe that's just sitting with a friend who's hurting. There are other ways to be comforting than to say something that's not necessarily on the right path. Maybe give your friend some time and space to process. And like you do in prayer, you go to God when you're ready and they'll do the same for you. The same, is, same goes for our loved ones. If they're looking for answers, be ready to walk with them. 
but in love, not in lies. And that's what we're experiencing with this cliche phrase. So the second thing we're gonna address with this uh, cliche phrase is that it isn't true. This phrase misinterprets God and angels um, because there's two things that need to be checked here. The first thing it says is God needed. God is not needy, God is not selfish, God is holy, and it's angels that are not our loved ones who have died. So these two wrongs in this phrase, sorry, they don't make a right, um, even though we say it and our heart is good in it. And so we learn from our Bible reading today in Hebrews 1, verse 9, your throne, O God, endures forever, and you rule with a scepter of justice, and you love justice and hate evil. So God doesn't need anything from us, like this phrase says. He endures forever. That's what we learn in that verse. God is completely independent from us, from creation. And he is not dependent on us, but we get this love that God shares with us completely because he wants to, not because he needs us. And I think that's even more beautiful. And God, this God establishes justice and hates evil and death as much as we do. So oftentimes we can blame God for all of this evil in the world, but God hates it just as much as not more than we do. And so instead, God does something about it. God promises resurrection and death and grief and eternal life, which is the greatest promise and comfort we could ever receive. So when our empty words fall short, God just expands and shows us how great he is and how comforting he is. And so when words fail us, God doesn't. And so what is this term, an angel? That can seem kind of scary. Do we become angels? Are we angels? What are angels? An angel simply means a messenger. That's what the Greek translation from angelos stands for. It's commonly applied to scripture um, and all different messages, uh, messengers of God from heaven and earth, whether they're spiritual beings in heaven who carry out various missions for God or they're prophets and apostles here on earth. And so we see it in heaven and on earth. And that's where all this confusion sets in. There's these three words that are used to describe this same meaning, angelos. They're messengers, but they can be spiritual beings, they can be prophets, and they can be apostles. So which is it? We sometimes confuse all the meanings, and I think that's where this phrase comes from. So in order to understand uh, when an angel is a spiritual being, we need to understand heaven and earth too. So we pull down this sheet here. We have two different circles. And so we can see that heaven is a realm um, which we don't always get to experience. And so heaven's gonna be over here. And then you and I know earth pretty well. We understand that, that God is with us. God promises to dwell with us with the Holy Spirit. And so we get to experience that on earth just in a different way. But then we have this funny middle ground and this is really where these realms come in to play is what does it look like here? Angels as these spiritual beings oftentimes are thought of just in heaven, but we actually have experienced in scripture that they are able to interact here on earth. And so the Bible is made up of these two different realities, heaven and earth, our space and God's space. And so God's presence is in this heavenly realm, this spiritual realm. But God's not alone. 
There are many spiritual beings that scripture talks about. And this isn't a scary thing. It's just something that's not talked about very often in church. So there's a lot of scripture that has to do with these spiritual beings. So for centuries, the topics of angels has produced these false ideas, which you saw in our clip, and maybe what you've seen around um, growing up or that you have also participated in. And so maybe for you, the name angel makes you cringe a little bit. Has your grandmother ever called you angel? Um, There's no need to correct her, please. But the reality is angels aren't described in the Bible as the harp plank creatures uh, that visit us here on earth, that are babies that have wings that have been depicted for centuries. Instead, angels in the Bible are often mistaken for people. So they look a lot more like you and me. And so when they show up, it's often surprising. It scares or shocks people because they look human, but there's a little bit of a difference with their presence. There's something off about them where you know they're powerful. And so we're encouraged in the Bible to never look for these angels, but they do play an important role for us in our lives. Humans can't march into this heavenly realm. Instead, God reaches out to us through his people, through angels, and their appearance uh, and their revelation of God is seen here in this earthly realm. So we could experience these glimpses of heaven. But I want you to know the most important part of this, that Jesus Christ, God's only son, joins these two realities because he is God himself. And we experience this union of heaven and earth because of Christ. And so we look to Christ to see of what we can be as human beings, as messengers, but also we learn even more about what it looks like to be in this middle ground. And so we learn in John chapter one, verse 51, then he said, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, you will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and going down on the son of man, the one who is the staircase between earth and heaven. And so angels in the Bible are always witnessing for God and do not draw attention to themselves, but instead they're pointing to something greater. They're servants themselves. And so we are not angels here on earth in the sense of being a spiritual being, but we are messengers, we are apostles. And so we are looking at today that those spiritual beings in heaven and what their role is. So Colossians 1.16, we know that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is the common denominator. Jesus broadens our vision for what the kingdom of God is going to look like now and forever. We get to witness being messengers ourselves but we're in a distinct way being apostles. Spiritual beings have a different role. And so we are created for different purposes, but we're both God's creatures. Modern culture's fascination with angels for the most part has been pretty inaccurate, uh, pretty foreign to the Bible, but we get to witness something much greater, God himself through Jesus and through God's angels. So the purpose of angels in these passages in Hebrew one in our Bible reading points not only to the existence of angels, but shows us the purpose for why they were created. To worship God, to serve God, and to serve God's church. God's word is something the angels know deeper than we could understand. They never cease from knowing God's word and, and celebrating that and praising. So God's message to all his people on earth, we get to receive sometimes through angels, but his words are always on their lips. And we read this in Hebrews chapter one, verse six. 
And when he brought his supreme son into the world, he said, let all of God's angels worship him. So angels are actually members of this heavenly court of God. Angels serve and praise him. He is their creator, but they too are like us and not always without fault. But they witnessed creation of the world. And so they constantly are praising God. They also serve God. So we look at that in our next verse here. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire in Hebrews 1 verse 7. So these angels appear repeatedly throughout the Old and New Testament and are present in all the foundational events of Jesus' life and ministry. But this passage directly names angels as spiritual beings or spiritual creatures and not just humans who are messengers. These spiritual beings are distinct from God and man, so they bring messages. They were active in the Old Testament in saving God's people. They sometimes rescued God's people from invading armies. They also they helped people who were in danger, who were God's people. Angels are also called to be servants of God's church. We learn in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, therefore angels are only servants spirits sent to care for people who inherit salvation. So God sent these spiritual beings, these angels to serve God's people. That's their role. They protect and care for God's people. And sometimes they even give specific guidance to specific people for specific situations. But one mistake we may make is do we pray to these angels? Do we pray for these angels? Well, these angels are spiritual beings commissioned by God. So we pray to God the Father who then sends his angels for their purpose. In the same way that he sent his son, sent himself for his ultimate purpose. And so the last cliche that we wanna break down and reason three that we're diving into this phrase is, do we all have guardian angels? Passages like Psalm 34, seven, Matthew 18, 10, usually refer in support of these ideas that these individuals have a personal guardian angel that have been taken out of context or used incorrectly. And so we learn in Psalm 34, seven, that for the angel of the Lord is a guard, he surrounds and defends all who fear him. The angel of the Lord is a specific angel referenced in scripture who speaks on behalf of God as if they are God, which is a little different than any other angel in scripture. Many scholars believe that this mysterious angel is actually Jesus. So we may not have personal guardian angels. We'll find out someday, but some, we will know that our greatest guard and comfort is Jesus Christ, who has all the authority in heaven, as we read in verse 13. And God never says to any of the angels, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Jesus Christ has that authority, greater than angels, greater than anything else because he is God. And so we know that this angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ himself, who unites our realms, is the Lord that keeps watch over you as you come and go both now and forever. God needed another angel? No, but all of God's created beings are God's messengers. And the greatest of these messengers is our savior, Jesus Christ, who is our comfort, our defender, and our guard now and forever. Let's worship him. <laughs> 